Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Jerry and Bob. We are One New Man Ministries. We're an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling Jewish believers and Gentile believers and Yeshua HaMashiach, that's Jesus Christ. And as Ephesians 2, 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace and his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us. 16, that he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. And 18, I'm sorry, 21 in him, so 19, sorry, 19 through 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. So today we're going to be talking about Deuteronomy and and Romans, and it's really a great opportunity for for us to, to discuss the ministry of One New Man and the mission, which is to bring together believers and to show how God's whole plan for redemption that is revealed in the Bible is a plan to bring together all human beings, created in the image of God, and and bring us together as one new man in Christ, individually one new man, and together being built together. And I just wanted to start us off with... Uh, a verse from Deuteronomy 29:28 because I think that it is a good as we get near the end of the Torah near the end of the first five books of the Bible near the end of Deuteronomy we should sort of be seeing the consummation and I think this is an important verse here it says The secret things belong unto the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong unto us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So, Jerry, what are we going to study today? We have our Torah portion is in Deuteronomy 29, uh, verse 10 through chapter 30, verse 20. Uh, Our half Torah portion is Isaiah 61 through 63, but we're actually going to lead off today with our New Testament portion, which is Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. And I want to take a moment to talk about Paul and remind everybody that Paul describes himself in one place as a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As far as the law, he was perfect. In another place, though, when he's making his defense before some uh, Roman uh, judges, he claims his Roman citizenship. So that Paul is actually both a Jew of Jews, but also a Roman citizen by birth. And when we first meet him in the book of Acts, he is called Saul, or his Hebrew name, Shaul, That is who he was in his Jewish identity. But he also had a Roman name, which was Paul. And so when we talk about the Apostle Paul, uh, Messianic believers often refer to him as Rav or Rabbi Shaul. So when we talk about the Apostle Paul and what he has to say here in Romans chapter 10, let's remember that he is writing as Rav Shaul. He is a Jewish person coming from his Jewish heritage and his extremely deep foundation in Torah when he talks about the issues that he raises in chapter 10. 
This whole section, chapter 10, is found in uh, the section of Romans, uh, chapters 9 through 11, which really have to do with now that the uh, Messiah has come, and it seems that most of Israel has rejected him, certainly the leadership has rejected him, what does God plan to do with Israel? Is he all done with the nation? And the argument between chapters 9 and chapter 11 is simply this. God is a covenant-keeping God. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he intends to make good on. And if we read this section carefully, he says very clearly there is coming a time when the fullness of the Gentiles will have come in, when all of the nations that are going to respond to Yeshua will respond, and then Israel will awaken as a nation, and all Israel will be saved. So that day is coming. And so when we read chapter 10, we need to see it in this context that this is part of Paul's argument that God is not done with Israel. In fact, when I look at this passage, it is crucial to all believers today for this reason. <clears throat> God made a lot of promises in the Old Covenant. God said he would do this, do that for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I read Romans chapter 8, I read a lot of great promises from God. How he's never going to leave us or forsake us, and he's not going to condemn us. All of these wonderful things that he who he, he called, he will justify, he may justify, he sanctifies, he glorifies. Great and precious promises of a covenant that God is making with us through Yeshua. Why should I accept those as valid if I can turn around and say, oh, but he broke his covenant with Israel? The reason I can have confidence in the new covenant promises is because God keeps faith with all of the covenant promises he's made. Amen. Right? And so chapters 9 through 11 are really an assurance to you and me today, whether we're Jew or Gentile, that God is a covenant-keeping God. He will not turn his back on Israel. He intends to bring them through to final salvation in Yeshua. And because he kept his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we know and can be assured that he will keep his covenant with us through Yeshua. This is the new covenant that he's making, but it does not abrogate the promises that he's made. Those still stand, and they are coming to fruition. And Jesus himself fulfilled the old covenant through the new covenant. Absolutely. Uh, he, he was the, the, the goal of the law. Okay, and we're going to see that in, in, in chapter 10. Right. So I just wanted to kind of set that 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 in there that, you know, as as a new believer in Yeshua, uh, a, another Jewish person that was in my life at that time. Kind of went through the same process that I went through in becoming a believer and he went a different direction. He completely rejected Jesus. He bought into a very standard Jewish idea that Paul came along and invented a new religion. But if we read carefully, we can see that Paul is not inventing a new religion. What Paul is doing is drawing out from the Old Covenant the messianic implications of what, what is already there. And we'll see that in the choice of verses that he uses in this section. A uh, lot of reference to our Torah portion today in chapters 29 and chapter 30. So uh, turning to, to Romans chapter 10, and listen to Paul's heart. And it's just so extraordinary. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is for the Jewish people, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, 
but not according to knowledge. Okay? There is a crucial bit of information that they do not have. And I think we've talked about this before. Uh, the word Yeshua uh, is, is not only the name of Jesus, uh, the Savior that we give him, but the word Yeshua, we've said, called it the, the, the key that unlocks, right? And so this is the knowledge that they, they have not grasped. Not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is really a, a tricky little thing because to be ignorant of the righteousness of God, what he's talking about here is how we achieve or how one has a right standing with God. And what they had adopted was a, a, a way to be right with God that depended upon their work, their uh, faithfulness and commitment to carrying out the 613 commands of the Mosaic Covenant. That if I will do these things, then I will be right with God. And Paul's already argued back in Romans chapter 4 that that is the wrong road to righteousness with God. Using Abraham as the example, Abraham believed God and that was counted as his righteousness, as his right standing. So here's what he's saying. They were ignorant of the right way to righteousness with God. They were not going Abraham's way, but their own. And seeking to establish their own righteousness. They want to be rewarded for their good works. Is, is what he's saying. So they sought to establish their own, and therefore they did not submit to God's righteousness. God's uh, telling them, you need to go the way of faith. You need to look beyond the sacrifices to the one that is really uh, who you have to deal with. It's not just a matter of religious uh, practice. It's not just a matter of, of saying the right words, uh, being in the right place at the right time. It's more than that. It's actually putting your confidence and faith in the one who made you. To submit yourself completely to God, to um, recognize that uh, I cannot save myself. This is, this is really what we're talking about, the issue of sin and the separation that sin creates. I cannot fix the sin problem. Only God can. Seeking to do that themselves, they missed God's righteousness. And this is the key here, verse 4. Because Messiah, Yeshua, he is the goal. Uh, most English translations might say the end of the law, but that's kind of misleading. The law didn't end. Rather, he is the goal. He is the, the, the uh, finish line. The fulfillment of it? <laughs> the, the fulfillment of, of the law. He is what the, the law was intended to, to bring us to. Uh, Paul talks about the law in Galatians as the schoolmaster to bring us to Messiah. Messiah is the goal that was set before the law. Okay, This is where we're trying to get to, to Messiah. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, that is to, to gain right standing with God. Messiah is the goal. And it's for everyone who believes. And notice Paul's very pointed use of everyone. Everyone. Not just Jews, but Paul's already been preaching to plenty of Gentile folks along the way here and there as he's gone out on these various missionary journeys. Verse 5 in Romans chapter 10, Moses writes about the righteousness based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And in another place, he answers, the, there's a curse on anyone who does not completely do them. Well, so in reality, then, who of us completely keeps, forget 613 commandments, let's just focus on the big 10. <laughs> who of us perfectly keeps those? It's not possible. Even Paul, you know, this is the great thing about his testimony, um, you know, in terms of the law, righteous or perfect, he says in Galatians. But in Romans chapter 7, he talks about how uh, 
when he finally understood the law, he was condemned because the law, because he, 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 he could run through the first nine, which are all external performance in one way or another. But number 10 was the one that got him, you shall not covet. That was a heart issue, and he recognized the sin in his heart, right? So that's what he's talking about here. Uh, if, if, if you can do all the commandments, great. But the righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down, don't say who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ, Messiah back from the dead or up from the dead. But what does the righteousness based on faith, that's what we're talking about, righteousness based on faith, what does it say? And this is the quote from our Parsha uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I think. Um, Yes, chapter 30, uh, verse 14. Verse 14. Yeah. Well, and just above it, who, who will, uh, verse 12, who, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. So Paul is basing his argument here in Romans chapter 10 on Deuteronomy. So again, I say, Paul is not creating a new religion. Paul is doing what any good rabbi of his day would do. He is drawing teaching out from the scriptures at hand, which is the old covenant. And he is saying, this is what they really teach. So they he says in 14, read Right. Well, that's, that's going to be quoted next uh, in, in Romans 8. Uh, he quotes verse 14. The word is very near you in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. In Romans 8, then, he says, what does the word say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And again, he just draws that right out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. So the word, God has spoken. It is close to you. He has been using Moses to bring this word to the people. We take it a step further, of course, as New Testament uh, followers of Yeshua, and we say the word is representative of the living word, which is Yeshua. And Yeshua is the word that we have been saying the scripture is ultimately focused on, Yeshua. Jesus told the disciples that he was on the road with after his resurrection. He opened up the scripture and said, it's all about me. Right? And so this is the word that has come near us. It's near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So what is the word of faith Paul's been walking around proclaiming? Trust in the Lord Yeshua. Trust in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven, and you will be made right with God, not on the basis of your religious performance, not on the basis of, uh, of uh, fear and uh, constant pressure and anxiety. Am I doing enough? Am I pleasing my God? No, you are accepted and loved in Yeshua, beloved. All you have to do is put your faith in the one who said, this is what it is, right? Go. Yeah, Jerry, that's a good point. You know, God has done everything for us. You know, he, he's, he showed us his law. He, he sent us Jesus. Jesus died for us. All we need to do is acknowledge him, you know, and you're saved. Mm -hmm. And just repent. And, and, and he, he shows you the, the depth of God's love for us and reaching out towards us so that we could be with him. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, it's very easy. On the other hand, it's very hard. It is. And let me give you an example of this. Uh, and, and what makes it hard is not that the truth is inaccessible. It's pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward for anybody who really wants to seek it out. But a lot of people come to the ultimate conclusion, I don't want to believe this because that means I have to turn over control of my life. I have to admit that somebody else is God. Somebody else is going to be my Lord. And I... Uh, on the other hand, is the pride issue. I don't need 
any help. I can do this myself. So in either direction, though, the, the, the largest stumbling block in the end to faith is a person's personal desire to stay in control of their own life. Yes. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith that we proclaim. The word of faith he proclaims is the gospel. Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's, that's the gospel. And all we have to do is receive Yeshua by faith, and we are saved, delivered from sin, forgiven of sin, adopted into God's family. That's the word of faith. And then he goes on because, and this, this is so, so, such good tight writing, if I could put it that way. He's, he's already talked about uh, your mouth and your heart. And that's what the scripture says back, back in, in Deuteronomy as well. It's, it's near you in your mouth and in your heart. Now, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord or Yeshua is, is Lord. And I want to say again that in Greek, the word Lord, kurios, is the standard word that is used throughout the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to God. Kurios. Okay? So what we're saying, what he's saying is you are confessing that Yeshua is God. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And so... Here we have the mouth and the heart, the testimony of the lips, the response of the heart. You cannot simply confess Jesus as Lord and be saved if your heart does not believe that God raised him from the dead. In the end, faith is a heart issue, not merely a mental agreement with something. Is your heart really trusting in what God did by raising Yeshua from the dead? What did God do when he raised Yeshua from the dead? He proved that he was the Son of God with power. He proved that he had power over death. He proved that he really had taken on sin and paid the penalty and overcame it. If you don't believe that about Yeshua then you are not really saved because you have missed what Yeshua came for to deal with sin to give us that right standing with God. And, and he opened the way for us through faith in his redeeming and saving power, his atoning power that puts us in right standing with God. He opened the way for us to be a new man in Christ, to be regenerated and to overcome sin, the slavery of sin. So, you know, without, without the resurrection, there is not the hope of in the new man, in the regeneration and being freed from the bondage of sin. Mm -hmm. All right. It, it, it is the evidence that God really has accomplished what God said he was going to accomplish. Which is to redeem a people for right. himself. Amen. You know, Jerry, I just want to um, look at the word covenant, and let's define that, if you would. Is this a binding agreement between two or more parties that is established by God and maintained by God mm -hmm. in this? But when it comes to the new covenant, all of them, all, the first six of them are covenants. But when it comes to the new covenant, it's the word kanos, I believe, in, in Greek, that means new, and that means a newly discovered, newly formed. It's not like Johnny got, gets a new bicycle. This is something that that's, was formed just for us so that God could live within us. Yes, and uh, I want to say that uh, when we talk about the new covenant, it is a, still a covenant with the people of Israel. Yes, and this is what Paul is getting at when he talks about the wild olive branches grafted in. It's not a new covenant that was made for the sake of Gentiles. 
It was a new covenant made with Israel to include Gentiles in all the rich blessings that God intended for Israel. Amen. Well, and it was to fulfill God's covenant with Abraham, that through Abraham all nations would yeah, be saved. Absolutely, going back to, to, to the very beginning, Yeah, for sure. Because then he goes on, uh, with the heart you believe and are justified, that is the process that God has of making us right with him. So it is through faith in the heart that this happens, this right standing. But it is with the mouth we confess and are saved. All right. So that these two things are working together in calling Jesus Lord with our mouths and believing in our hearts that he was raised from the dead. So this. You can't have one without the other, right? <laughs> like that old song from, I think it's Oklahoma. Love well, and, it, and, it, and it's not just anything with the mouth. It's confessing with the mouth mm -hmm. because that word right there, confessing, is very important because we can't appropriate the salvation of Yeshua, his atoning blood, without the humbling of our heart and the and what's required to humble our heart it's confessing because you know we, we still have to do the heart work inside ourselves so i mean that is the gift and the way that jesus opened for us that he that we have right standing with god and we can receive God's for forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. And we still have to do the work that it, the Holy Spirit does the work inside of us and is making a new man inside of us. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that requires our confessing the old man when the old man rears its ugly head. <laughs> Indeed, we are uh, new in Christ uh, but we still carry the flesh around, and uh, it, it's a war. It's a war. But I love this then, because again, we're, we're, we're making the case here too that Paul is not inventing a new religion, that he is talking to them as Rabbi Saul, coming from Old Testament scripture. He says again in, in verse 11, the scripture says, and when, when New Testament people refer to the scripture, they are talking about what we today call the Old Testament. That was scripture for them. That was what the Bible was. There was no uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and all the epistles of Paul. Those were in the process of being written when this came out. So when Paul says this is what the scripture says, he's talking about here's, here's what God has been saying up until now. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, this is where we get into what was previously hidden and is now being made known in the preaching of the gospel to Jew and Greek alike. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, or we could say Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. Now he's just talking about common sense. If God created mankind, then all men are created in God's image. And it doesn't matter which tribe you, you wound up in. It didn't matter how it shook out for you personally. If you were born within the Jewish nation or another nation, we're all acknowledging that we come from the same Lord. He's Lord of all. He bestows his riches on all who call on his name, everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is a quote from uh, Zechariah, I believe. I didn't look it up. <clears throat> but this is his, his final argument in here is we are in, in Messiah, we are wiping out all ethnic, tribal, racial distinctions because there's really only one Lord over all of us. And he is the Lord of salvation. And if we call upon his name in faith, it doesn't matter where you come from, who your parents were, who your great-great-grandparents were. None of that matters. We all belong to the same God. And when we call upon his name, we will be saved. Amen. So that's where we kind of come down on the one new man idea, because we're saying that in Messiah, 
God has begun a new humanity. There was the old man, Adam, and there is what Paul calls in uh, Corinthians the second Adam, the, the leader of a new humanity, that that's what God is doing in Messiah, in Yeshua. He is creating a new humanity, a new mankind, one new man. And then we become part of the one new man by being incorporated into his body through faith. And we are, Paul talks about in uh, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 5.17, if any man is in Messiah, he is new creation. Not a new creation, although we are recreated in Christ, but he is transferred from the old creation to the new creation. Just like Paul writes about, uh, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That we are now, through faith in Yeshua, part of one new man. Part of the new creation that God is doing in Messiah. That is the one new man. And then it does have those personal implications. And, and this that's why, going back to our Ephesians 2, uh, ministry 2.14 says, For he, that's Yeshua HaMashiach, is our peace in his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. So if you look at um, Deuteronomy, you know, that we're reading this week, uh, which is 29, and Moses has, you know, gotten all the leaders together, and he is, you know, he goes on in, in 16 through, uh, through 19 or 20, he's talking about what are the traps, the snares that can cause you to lose your peace individually but also your peace as a community of believers and i think this is goes back to this broken that jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall the hostility between us and the enmity it's important because he says in 16 when you've seen their idols or detestable things their idols which were with them and lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away this day from the Lord our God to go serve the gods of those nations. Lest there should be among you a root that bears gall and wormwood. Wormwood is some wood that is, I'm not sure exactly why, it's some bad wood. You know something about that, Jerry, but... <laughs> What were you going to say about wormwood? Is is mentioned somewhere else in? Uh, wormwood is the uh, nephew of screw tape. Well, yeah, but there isn't it mentioned in the scripture somewhere else. Well, yeah, wormwood is uh, this apparent wood that uh, if you use it, it uh, has some pretty nasty uh, effects on you. Uh, wormwood is is mentioned in uh, Revelation, also. Uh, doesn't he throw a, a big something into the sea and it's wormwood? I, I'd have to so, look that up. But worm, wormwood is 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 this uh, symbol, I guess, throughout the scripture of something that festers and corrupts. Okay. Uh, what's what, what, what it comes into contact with. So, so let's say, so here are people who are chasing other idols. They turn away. Their heart turns away from God. There's a root that bears gall or bitterness and wormwood. And he, or the, the individual says when he hears the words, and it, and it come to pass when he hears the words of this curse, 
that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, that the water be swept away with the dry, and the Lord will not be willing to pardon him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall be kindled against that man, and all the curse that is written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that is written in this book. So, you know, I think what I, the point I'm trying to make is that when it's misunderstood, when salvation through Yeshua is misunderstood either by Christianity or Christendom, that it's ours and it's not of the Jews— or, on the other hand, from the, the Jewish side of the dividing wall of hostility, that the, we are the, in, the inheritors of the promises of the covenants of the Torah, of the Old Testament, and that it's not for Jews and Greeks, as we just read, that he is not Lord of all, but he, you know, that all who come to him through faith are saved that these two things, either point of view causes, is a root of gall and bitterness and wormwood and destruction and will destroy and separate the body of Christ when Paul says right here, for he is our peace. Yeshua HaMashiach in his flesh has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. So, you know, I, I guess I'm just saying here is God's plan for redeeming a people of himself, for himself, did start with the nation of Israel and was the covenant was through Abraham, that all people, all nations would be saved. The Yeshua is our salvation for all, and he came to tear down that dividing wall of hostility between us. And any time we let a root into our heart that we're better, or it's through our righteousness, or what does this say? It says, it says, I shall have peace though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. You know, and when an individual doesn't humble himself and confess and repent and know that he's dependent upon the blood of Yeshua, that individual will be separated. But when it affects the tribes or the families or the churches, it will cause separation. It's not what he wanted. Mm -hmm. No, nope, for sure. The reference you already made, I think, is just so important to take us back to Abraham and understand that the blessing is ultimately to all nations. And as you were talking, the picture I got in my mind was if you take a pebble and you drop it in the water, you get these concentric rings that flow out from it. And that is really the intent that God had with Abraham, right? That it would spread out from Abraham in ever widening, widening circles. And I know we talked about earlier that we're coming to the end of the story, but really, we're really only coming in some ways to the end of the beginning of the story. Because the story really began, and I think we've touched on this before here, the story really began the day that God said, he, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. But somebody is coming that's going to redeem this mess. And that the whole story of scripture is the question, is this the one? Right? And we've had some real prominent people rise, particularly along the way then, Abraham, Moses, and David, and each one in his own way is this superhero of the faith. Let's, let's call them that. But are they the one? 
ultimately, for one reason or another, they're not because they were merely human. And they were touched by the very sin from which they needed to be redeemed. And so we are coming to the end of Moses' life and the end of his, his leading the people, but he's going to hand that off. And what began with Moses is going to continue with Joshua. And that's the beautiful thing is that that's why in, in one way, we, uh, this, this is a, just another way we can say that Yeshua was the goal of it all. That everybody kept handing off the ball until finally Yeshua came and he, he was the ultimate ball carrier. <laughs> yes. If we can put it that way. Right? Right. And, and I think that's a good place for us to get to Deuteronomy 30 because, you know, we've been building in this story, you know, circumcise your heart um, and and the blessing and the curses and the joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. And, and you know, 30 really wraps this up in a way where Moses says, God says, I have put before you the choice. Mm -hmm. and, and we all have a choice and we need to understand the consequences right. of that choice. But before we get to the choice, let me just say a couple things leading up to it that I think help set the, set the stage for us. At the end of chapter 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And this was the point I, I think I was making earlier about Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, uh, starting in verse 2, Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So here was a secret thing of God that has belonged to him alone till now, right? The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have br briefly written. So this is, this is Paul's very condensed testimony, how he had the vision and he... In, in, on the road to Damascus and became a believer and then how he went out into the desert for uh, those three years and he was taught directly by the Lord. Uh, that's his testimony. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And when he's talking about mystery now, he's talking about something that's been revealed. It's no longer a mystery. The mystery of Messiah, which is what? It was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery that's been revealed is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Messiah Yeshua through the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? So... There was a, a secret that God held for a long time as various people rose to see if this would be the one and they were going to be deliverers of the Jewish people, right? But when Messiah came, what do we read in Isaiah? It is not enough to give you Israel. I will give you the nations, right? So the mystery that God had all along is that when mm -hmm. the one came, he would redeem not just the Jewish people, but all of humanity, all of Adam's fallen race. Well, so, you know, you can see it from both points of view because you could say, oh, you know, uh, there's avarice, you know, the, the Jewish people have avarice. They're clinging to God as their God alone, you know, and I and, and, and that, you know, that they're circling the wagons and they're and that, you know, of course, you know, it makes total sense what Paul's saying that Gentiles are fellow heirs because we're all created in the image of God. He is the Lord of all, right? He is the God of God. He's the God, the source of creation. He created it up. So, of course. But when you look at it from the Jewish point of view of the blessing and the curse, 
and you go, you know, hey, if we don't circle the wagons and, you know, carry these scrolls and study these laws and pass them on and take responsibility for that God has given us for this law, for this word, and we're going to be held accountable with the curses, you know, so you can mm-hmm. see how they're saying, you know, we ha- if we have been given this, we're responsible for it. We need to hold it tight so that we can be responsible and accountable. I see it both ways, and this is why I think it's important when you're on top of the dividing wall of hostility to try to understand both points of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jerry, well, I'd like to make one other st- statement here is that Jesus was the exact representation of God himself that came to this earth to show us who he really was. And I think the answer to, to, to the the dilemma is this idea that Paul's already brought up that there's a zeal for God but it's not according to knowledge and if we if we take that other sentence that Messiah was the goal of the law and so in you know and I speak as a, as a, as a Jewish person as well in, in our desire to cling to the law we missed the goal we held it so close that we couldn't see what it was intended for we made the law the thing, if I could put it that way, right? We, we maybe elevated the law to a place that, you know, in, in, in Christendom, there's, there's this term thrown around sometime about bibliolatry, making the Bible an idol. Mm-hmm. And that's possible to do. And perhaps as Jewish people, that's what we did with the law. Well, maybe not even the law, but the tribe. Okay, so, so if, if, you know, Moses is saying, Israel, you as a tribe, you as a people have been the, you know, have been given this law. You've been given the grace, the favor of this law, and now it's your responsibility. And so they circled the wagons and said, okay, we're the tribe of Israel. But they made maintaining the tribe of Israel above understanding the heart of God, you know, because like like Bob said, if if Yeshua is the exact imprint of the nature of God and when he walked on earth, he wasn't prejudiced or bigoted against non-Jews. Right. And so, you know, th- this is this is clearly, you know, it but it is a jump, you know, like you said are you the one? Is Yeshua the one who's going to be the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant where it take where it's now taken to all nations and all tongues? And for my Jewish brothers and sisters, I think you that if you don't haven't read the New Testament and you haven't plugged in his name, Yeshua, that it means salvation. Every time in the Old Testament where you see the word salvation, that is the proper name of Yeshua who worked, walked on the earth as a, as a man, was both son of man and son of God, then you can't really understand that this is God's plan for redeeming a people for himself, peoples of all nations, and for saving us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in some ways, it just makes so much logical sense that the God who created all nations would want all nations represented in his presence at the end. So I wanted to lead up to uh, the, uh, I said before you, uh, blood, uh, life and death, because after 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 telling them about the secret things and the things revealed, he's, he then warns them, if you're not careful to do the words of the law, then the Lord is going to bring upon you after the blessings and all the cursings. This is, this is going to take place, just like I said to you. But in the end, 
in uh, 28, I'm sorry, that's, that's the wrong spot, uh, 20, <laughs> 29, um, after the blessings and the cursings have come on them, 29.5, the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed that you may possess it. He'll make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers, and he will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, that you may live. And he will put curses on your foes and enemies. You will again obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous. In verse 9, verse, uh, the Lord will again take delight in prospering you. Verse 10, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And there's that uh, phrase, uh, that goes takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 about love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. So that's the lead-in. This is going to happen. What I said, blessing, cursing, when you return, God's going to prosper you again. Now he gets ready to tell them. Verse 15 of chapter 30. Hold, hold, hold on. Before we get to that, Jerry, I think this is very important about what you said about God being a promise keeper, that he keeps his covenants and that he will keep his covenant with the Jewish people. And that is in Deuteronomy 30. So God says, and when it, when it shall come to pass, when all these things are have come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I've set before thee, this is 31, <clears throat> and... And he scatters them among all the nations where, I, where the Lord thy God has driven thee and shall return unto the Lord thy God and hearken to his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children with all thy heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God, this is 30, verse 3, will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the peoples whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee. If any of thine that are dispersed be in the uttermost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possess, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will open thy heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is, we are living through the time of fulfillment of this promise. Amen. We have seen the Jewish people return to the promised land, to Israel, from all the corners where they've been scattered. I look at this, if I look at this and I was like, you know, skeptical about the Bible and I read this and I'm like, wait a minute, this has happened. This was predicted all that time ago, and this has happened. How can this not be true? Amen. Lee, a good point. This is Excellent. what we read in Deuteronomy. It was written about 3,500 years ago. 75 years ago, it was fulfilled. And you know, just before, right. it, this is incredible. I mean, anybody could see, and and the Jews were scattered to the ends of the earth. Yes. And they, and and, and they had suffered a lot of curses, yes, uh, the the curses of disobedience too. And then the Lord brought them back just like he said he would throughout the scriptures. Right. And it's fulfilled in our time. And then it says, and then he's going to open their heart and the heart of their seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. So my heart for my Jewish brothers and sisters is that this is the time now that we are secure as Jewish people in the home, and I have our own homeland and in our own security, that we actually have the security to look and see, is Yeshua our salvation and our Savior? Yeshua, is he the Messiah? Read the New Testament, Amen. brothers and sisters. And, you know, yes, the Jewish people have suffered at the hand of Christendom, 
but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because Yeshua came first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles because he is our peace and his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. Amen. And he is life. When it says here, when God says that I put before you life and good, good or, e or death and evil and choose, he is the life that God has put before us. Mm -hmm. Amen. And Lee, I'd just like to make mention that, that the word Yeshua is mentioned 206 times in the Old Testament. And that God, you know, he says, he says to Israel, says, here's your Messiah, and his name is Yeshua, or salvation, or Savior. These are potent words. Yes, they are. For sure. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, Hashem your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving Hashem, the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. That's what God is saying to all of us today, to choose life. And according to the New Testament, uh, we want to remind all of our listeners that this is Jewish literature written by Jewish people in a Jewish context, coming out of Jewish scripture, talking about the Jewish Savior, who was not only the Savior of the Jews, but the Savior of all mankind. And according to that book in the Gospel of John, life has a name. <laughs> the name is Yeshua. The name is Salvation. And God is saying to all of us today, if we have not already chosen life, chosen Yeshua, today is the day of salvation. If you will hear his voice, it says, then submit yourselves to him. What we're saying is God has made a way for all people to be in a right relationship with him, to be justified. And what we're really asking you to consider is that sin is a real thing. Breaking God's law is a real thing. Rebelling against God, being treasonous against the true king is all actionable and a capital crime. Death is what I deserved. Death is what you deserve. Death is not what Yeshua deserved because he was without sin but he willingly took the death I deserved, the death you deserved, and took on my sin, your sin, paid for it, so that you and I could have life, could be in right relationship, have a right standing with the God who made us. But he is calling on you, as we read in Romans, to confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord anymore. He's my Lord. He gets to say what is and isn't right in my life. What's good for me, he gets to say. If I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, 
That's what we're asking you today. Will you confess Jesus with your mouth? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If so, pray this prayer. Father God, thank you for saving me through faith in Jesus. I put my faith in him. I receive your forgiveness. I receive life. I receive your Holy Spirit. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to empower me to live for God, that I may be one of his treasured possessions through faith in Yeshua. If you prayed that, please contact us at One New Man Ministries International on Facebook. Let us know. Share the podcast with your friends on any of the streaming platforms. For Bob and Lee, I'm Jerry. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you'll be with us again next week. Till then, God bless you.